Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Carty. Hey, Annie. Hi, Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two fictional universes, mm-hmm. two fandoms, if you will, yep. and um, make a make a sandwich out of them. Oh, man. Yeah, take a real bite out of crime <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> See, I always like listening for what verb you're going to use, and then tonight you just totally rejiggered it. You yeah. used a whole idiom, and I, I like did. it. I did, yeah. That's a delicious sandwich. It is. Well, Annie, uh, before we sit down for tonight's sandwich, allow me to be the first to say congratulations. Thank you. To both of us. Yeah. For hitting this most important of milestones and delivering by far the longest titled episode of Crossover Appeal in all time. We're going to have to work real hard to find another one. Yeah. Like, Like... Someone out there is watching their phone as the title scrolls across it very, very slowly. I think it's and... it's the opposite of Luther and Contact. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We had to give some balance to the exactly. universe. <laughs> Annie, what are we spending a lot of time saying the titles of tonight? Boy, are we going to say the titles a lot of 10 Things I Hate About You and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Words are the Ten greatest. 10 Things I Hate About Galaxies. Oh, no. Astronomy 204 class. <laughs> it was your response paper at the end of astronomy class? Yeah. That's why you didn't like, get a good grade here, in that class. Number one, what are they? The universe? What do no. they think they are? Special? Yeah. Uh-uh. They're, They're only a galaxy. Yeah, just a mode get of dust. Get yourself together. Seriously. Come on, astronomers. We're all spinning further and further away from each other. <laughs> We're not at any special. Stop playing into galaxies' ego trips, yeah. everybody. Let's bring them down a peg. Exactly. Annie, tell me 10 things you hate about galaxies. Um, well, or about the movie 10 Things I Hate About You. I'm going to tell you 10 things I love about 10 Things I Hate About You. Ooh. Um, oh, wow. Maybe. Really? It's fun. It's funny. Okay. It has a great cast. Okay. Um, it's really smart. Mm-hmm. It's a cool adaptation. Halfway there. Um, it's got great 90s references. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it features Heath Ledger singing and mm-hmm. dancing. Um, baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Mack after she was Alex Mack. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, Julia T- Stiles tr- doing the worst poem ever. Yeah, that's ten. 10 things. Bam, yeah. nailed it. That was, I could go on. Oh, yeah. And I will. Now, please do. So, 10 Things I Hate About You is a teen romantic comedy slash adaptation of Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. It was released in 1999 and did moderately well, but ended up being a breakout movie for stars Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, it made your warm fuzzies, guys. Yeah, I love all of these people. a pile of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also inspired a TV adaptation of the same name, but I haven't seen that at all, so we won't be discussing it. Is it still happening? No, it and and I mean I've heard good things about it. Yeah. I just like I haven't d- dived into that. It has not been part that. of the rotation. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Maybe someday though. Mm-hmm. Um, the story follows the Stratford sisters at Padua High School. <laughs> uh, sophomore Bianca is fun and popular and wants to date, but her strict father won't allow her to. Um, this particularly sucks for new student Cameron James, who has an instant crush on Bianca. Instant. It's like pew. He's like, oh my God. Who's, who's that lady? Who's that girl? <laughs> it's Bianca. <laughs> Yay. Um, meanwhile, Bianca is crushing on senior Joey Donner, who's a douche canoe. He's got the douche canoeiest name of the whole movie. Oh yeah, sure. he really brings it. I like that everybody's like, let's use those the winky Shakespeare names. Also Joey Donner. Yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> oh we all knew a Joey Donner. Mm-hmm. Um, Bianca's sister Kat is also a senior who doesn't care about dating. Um, she cares about feminism, angry girl rock, and graduating and going to Sarah Lawrence way, way far away from home. So she cares about things that are actually going to take her very far. Yeah, exactly. Life. She cares about things that she's she's going to do well in. We got to fix that, everybody. Yeah, right. No, it doesn't. That's no, it not doesn't. how it it's happens. Not. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Stratford, um, Bianca and Kat's mom, comes up with a new rule. Or dad, rather. He comes up with a new rule. Uh, Bianca can date 
when Kat dates, um, which means Bianca needs to get Kat a date. Mm-hmm. And Kat is like, I'm not going to date forever, so you're going to be <laughs> like a nun. I'm doomed. Um, um, can I, so this is a random yeah. and potentially embarrassing question. Is the dad played by Eugene Levy? No, he okay. is played by another actor who like is of the Eugene Levy family. Okay, I think like my brain has just done a fine replace for dads in Larry 90s movies. Larry Miller? And replace them all with Eugene Levy. Um, yeah, right? Like he, um, Larry he's, Miller was in like Pretty Woman and The Nutty Professor. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy. Get smart. Like he's, he's like a comedic character actor guy. Yeah, absolutely. Of the Ju- Eugene Levy school. Absolutely. The um, eyebrow school of acting. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Bianca enlists the help of Cameron to set Kat up with someone who won't be terrified of her. Uh, which means convincing Joey to pay bad boy Patrick Verona to woo Cat. This plot it's, is getting out of hand. It's, but it's very Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah, where it's absolutely. like, okay, we need to get this to that, to this, to that, and then we get, there we go. And it's the perfect kind of Byzantine to both make sense in a Shakespearean sense and also in a high school sense. Oh, totally. Because it's, it's like... Nothing can Cameron, be handled directly. Oh, yeah. Because Cameron is personally invested in getting Bianca to be able to date. Right. Um but he can't afford to pay anyone, so he needs to get Joey in, who is also personally invested in getting Bianca to date. Yeah. Um, so Man. Cameron is pulling in Joey, who he also wants to like triumph over eventually. Yeah, it's um, like everybody has wheels within wheels. Yeah, which again, feels very Shakespearean comedy, like mm. just characters running in and out and making wacky decisions. Sounds like a build-up to a farce. Ooh. Um, so we bring in Patrick, played by Heath Ledger, who's great. Um, but Kat is not interested in Patrick at first, despite the Heath Ledger charm yeah, he's no, laying on. Yeah, I don't on. get that choice at all. Well, she's she's had it real rough. Um, but eventually Patrick wins her over by expressing an interest in things she likes and in her as a person. Kat slowly opens up to him, um, while Bianca is finding out that Joey is a self-involved douche canoe. Um, Bianca wants to go to the prom with Cameron instead, but she'll settle for Joey if he gets her to the prom. Um, meanwhile, uh, Patrick needs to get Kat to the prom too, so Bianca can go. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Kat warns Bianca about Joey though. Turns out, Kat and Joey used to date freshman year. What? And um, they hooked up, and then Joey dumped her immediately after. Oh, my gosh. So that put Kat off dating entirely. She's it's like, met her scum. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I find it, like, a little bit of a stretch of logic that Bianca would never have known that no one yeah. would have been like, you're, like, potential hookup already hooked up with your sister. Yeah, like, it gets into weird incestuous territory. Well, not incestuous, but like flirting with it. I don't know. On the outskirts of Incest Town. Well, no, I mean, Um, Creepyburg. Creepyburg is the suburb of Incest Town. Yeah. Maybe let's stop saying Incest Town. Yeah, maybe I don't want to commit that to a digital record too much. (laughs) Um, But I I just find it weird that like no one would have told Bianca that like your sister used to date this guy. Yeah. No, or that she wouldn't have been aware of it. I feel like yeah. as a younger sister, I, like, I feel like she would probably have been hyper aware of who her older sister oh, was dating. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like that stretches incredulity. Um, but that is why Kat has her guard up against dudes right. and dating in general. And in the meantime, you get to look at Heath Ledger. I know, right? With a mm-hmm. smile. Oh. Aww. Um, so Bianca ends up going to the prom with Cameron instead, which pisses off Joey, who then reveals to Kat that Patrick's only her prom date because he's part of this financially funded dating scheme. Third act complication. Dun, dun, dun. Sadness. But then Bianca punches Joey at the prom, which is great. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Kat is sad, but ends up realizing that Patrick ended up fall- actually falling for her. Um, and it was not just like I got paid to go out with someone. Um, totally. so... They reunite. Patrick buys her a guitar with his Joey money um, and (laughs) (laughs) kisses ensue. Aw, kisses. Oh, you know what? I Okay, I think I know why Bianca didn't notice. Why? She was too busy paying attention to her secret world. The yeah right she, she was turning into, into yeah exactly yellow she had a lot of stuff going on she was on. dealing with a lot in middle school mm-hmm. so it's it's fair to say she would not have noticed what her freshman and high school sister was yeah, doing she would not have been quite as up on the gossip she was like I'm sorry I'm trying to take down this weird evil corporation yeah. and turning into like, like mercury yeah and also our dad works there and his password is my name and not that's my the only name. plot point I remember from that show is that 
one of the kids' names was the dad. Anyway, I'm going down a, a secret world of my own right now. Yeah, we'll save so, that one for the secret world of Alex Mack that episode. That would be a great crossover. Yeah. All right, well, everybody forget that I said that because I'm yeah. going to blow your mind with it seven episodes from now. Or something. Yeah, sometime in the future. Um, so for characters, we have Kat Stratford, angry feminist teen of my heart. Um, this is the shrew of the adaptation, played by Julia Stiles, and really like the perfect role for Julia yeah. Stiles. It's perfect for like a character who other people think of as a shrew, but or as an unlikable character, but is also immensely likable on her own. Yeah, and like she um, really like wants to like fight against the patriarchy, which is legit. Mm-hmm. And she is not just like some real angry per- person to everybody. But it's like, no, she's she's actually railing against some things that she has real good points about. Um, and I want to I want to sit at her lunch table. Yeah, basically. she's able to be vulnerable, but from a place of strength. Yeah. And of conviction. There's Bianca Stratford, a bubbly, popular sophomore who thinks you can be whelmed in Europe, uh, played by <laughs> Larissa Olenek. Yeah, great lines in this. Wow, I had no memory of that being her name, that actor. Yeah, oh yeah. I just always think of her as Alex Mack. Well, I mean, that's yeah. her real name. But it's a great name. It is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was later on Mad Men, so good for that's her. That's right. Yeah. Man, killing it. Yeah, love her. Mm-hmm. There's Cameron James, new kid in school, crushing on Bianca, uh, adorably played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Just who, the cutest. Just, and like, I really feel like Joseph Gordon-Levitt feels like like my cousin or something, where I'm yeah. like weirdly proud of him because I remember seeing him when I was a kid and mm-hmm. he was a kid and stuff. And now I'm like, you did it. Yeah, and he sort you of made got, it. He fell off the map for a little while, which I think yeah. was really helpful because yeah, then he got to come out and like... He was in Brick, and everybody was and like, Inception, oh, wait a second, it's yeah. that kid who, who can act all of a sudden? Yeah, right. And like, he always could, but I feel like, yeah, it. he played his career very right. Yeah, and I think he married someone who's like a web designer or something. Aww. She's like into computers somehow, and I'm like, good job, dude. He's also a great feminist. Yeah, good job, Joseph mm-hmm. Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Patrick Verona, a bad boy who ends up falling for the angry girl. Adorably played by Heath Ledger. He's just a delight. Oh, I know. This is a great role for him. Mm-hmm. Um, we miss you, Heath. Uh, Joey Donner, a douchebag senior, wannabe model, played by Andrew Keegan, who apparently started a cult. What? Like, not Nexium. I don't. The, that was the one that. No, that's Allison Mack. That's that's Allison oh, Mack. Oh God. From Smallville was the second in command, but that guy was a different guy. Okay, yeah. Um, this was this was something. Wow. He, like. Ten things Went I hate about the, him. Yeah, apparently a real creeper. Yeah. But type, he plays a creeper very well here. Hashtag typecasting. Yeah. Um, Michael Eichmann, or Eckman, who's um, Cameron's dorky friend slash partner in crime. Chastity Church, Bianca's friend, who ultimately goes to prom with Joey instead. Chastity. Don. Um, she's played by Gabrielle Union, who still looks like she's a teenager to this day. Yeah, she does not age. She is, yeah, she drank from that right grail, so good job, lady. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Mandela, Kat's friend who's really into Shakespeare. Um, Dr. Walter Stratford, Cat uh, and Bianca's father, who's a single dad slash OBGYN and who's seen enough pregnant teens to set some real hard dating lines in his house. I feel like that's a reasonable motivation for a I dad agree. being if super like, overprotective. If your day is like, I saw a 14-year-old give birth, like yeah. I do not want my girls dating anyone until they're 45. Like, And I like that it is a – it's an – Acknowledgement that that is a trope, but they justify the yeah, trope. Yeah, they that give it's, like it's a, the movie not being like all dads are like yeah, this. Yeah, or like, no, like this dad. The is dad like is this. weirdly focused on it. It's like no, yeah. that all the the dad's entire day is pregnant ladies. Mm-hmm. So all he can think is, oh my god, my teenage daughters are gonna have sex and get pregnant. Yeah, and I feel like especially in a movie that's dealing with like questions of patriarchy and all yeah. of that, it's nice that it acknowledges that like this type of character needs a reason to be like that. Yeah, exactly. It's not just you know dads. Right. And it like he ends up coming around and it's like, oh, okay, like you can make choices about your own life and bodies and I trust you. Right. You get um, to see your daughters as people. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's well done. Um there's Miss Perky, the principal and also erotica writer. I did not remember that. Yeah, she, that's what she does in her office. What? And she is played by Academy Award winner Allison Janney, Mother Snakesers. Yay. Oh, I like that you snaked yourself. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to say it this time. Yay. Now I don't have to edit it in. I yeah. appreciate it. Um, Allison Janney. Uh, it's like, I I remembered that she was in this, but I was like, oh my gosh, you're an Academy Award winner now, girl. Mm-hmm. You're and amazing. Rightfully so. And I'm sure like she's won Emmys and stuff. Oh, yeah. She she should have an EGOT. 
Yeah, I would I would EGOT her. They should just give her an EGOT. What if they did like the musical version of 10 Things and she uh-huh. starred in it and then yes. got a Tony for that? Absolutely. Yes. Sign us. Like, yeah. We're the producers We'll invest now. in it. We'll, we'll put you all have our- $10 to do this show. <laughs> just <laughs> living on a dream. <laughs> we're going to make it happen. Yep. Um, and we also have people like um, Kat's English teacher, who's just trying to put up with entitled white kids, um, Bogey Lowenstein and the future NBA club. Oh, um, Bogey. And that's like one of my favorite like side character names of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, his name is Bogey Lowenstein. Absolutely. Somebody had a lot of fun with that or someone knew a Bogey Lowenstein. Oh, totally. And they're like, I have to work this in. Mm-hmm. Um, and like girls on Kat's soccer team. So there's like a, an extended a veritable kind of high school worth of yeah. runners around. Um, some themes, um, be true to yourself. Um, so Kat, like, is more vulnerable with Patrick and then, like, opens up to her sister. But she, it doesn't, like, ask her to change the core of who she is. She's still going to Sarah Lawrence at the end of the movie. She, right. Like, is still angry feminist rock girl. Yeah, she's um, not going to get married right after the Yeah, movie. like, being in love doesn't change who she is. Mm-hmm. But, um... Like, she finds someone who likes who she is and isn't going to change her. And, like, she can, like, connect with Patrick, who, again, like, has this kind of very hard outer shell, but is also a warm, gooey, soft bunny inside. And I feel like there's something in there about also not defining yourself in opposition to something, necessarily. Like, being able to recognize in yourself, like, the ability to like things and like people and, uh, and like, allow yourself to like a guy if he's worth liking. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very high school, too. Like, oh, yeah. when you're a teenager, so much of your experience is pushing against things because that's what you're supposed to do at that age. Right. Like, you've been a child and you've been dragged around from place to place and told what to do and where to be when and... As a teenager, your job is to, like, start to push back against that. Right. You're um, finding your boundaries. Yeah. Um, but also meaning to, like, have to figure out, like, who who you are when it's not just pushing back against boundaries. Absolutely. Um, and another theme is, it's, again, it's okay to open up to people. Um, whereas Kat, like, gets, like, she really shuts down after Joey and she decides, like, just people are garbage and they use you. So I'm not going to be open with anyone. Um, which obviously is not a good idea. No. Um, and, you know, Bianca in the same way finds out that, like, she doesn't have to be, like, the the bubbly popular girl and, like, get, you know, Joey Donner and be, yeah, like... Like the, like the guy who's a status symbol. Yeah, it's like you can be with someone who likes you for you and who thinks you're smart and cute and great and who you think is smart and cute and great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, good job, ladies. Uh, things I like and think other people will like. Um, I listed those 10 things in the beginning. But yeah, you really covered this one. I know, right? Um, it's, again, a super fun romantic comedy cat. Um, comedy is just lots of hilarious lines and antics. And it still has, like, a major heart for all its characters. Like, you leave the movie just, like, loving everybody, which is yeah. great. Um, and yet lots of great performances by its cast. Heath Ledger singing... Um, the uh oh what's that i love you baby and if it's quite all right i need you baby oh yeah song um the four seasons yeah Yeah. like how fun is that Mm -hmm. um so they all do such a great job and it's also a a great adaptation of a very problematic shakespeare play yeah like it really skirts a lot of problematic boundaries and like manages to come across really well yeah like it's it's a play that like i don't think can really get adapted very well in a lot of situations, but this one manages to do it, like, perfectly. Yeah, I feel like especially, weirdly, like, keeping a lot of the gender dynamics similar. Like, there are a lot of adaptations now of Shrew that are, like, all-female. And it's very explicitly, like, let's examine patriarchy, but through a feminism lens or through Mm. an all-female lens. Whereas, like, this one keeps all of the characters, their cis heteronormative selves yeah but then finds ways to navigate those same conversations much yeah. less problematically oh definitely and it's never about like taking cat down a peg mm-hmm. it's about again like letting her open herself up to vulnerability yeah yeah um, and heal herself yeah a little bit. exactly um and in the same way, I think Patrick does the same. Like, he's, you know, there are all these rumors about, like, why he got, you know, kicked out of school on his back. Mm-hmm. And it's like he was in a bar fight and got thrown in jail and or like he ate like a frog. 
in science class and it's like it really is just like his grandparents got sick and he had to go help them yeah um and so he's learning to not have to play into that persona yeah exactly um Mm. so yeah i think it's it's a great examination of like personas in high school which can be very gendered um and you know you have to smash the patriarchy all the time um but yeah i think it, it handles it in such a smart way i would find it very difficult to do an adaptation like a contemporary adaptation that is better than 10 things i hate about you yeah i mean it's not even like a clueless where things kind of port over very obviously um but then this one like yeah they had to really do some work yeah but they did it very well yes they did um so speaking of people who do things very well yeah uh, do you want to talk about hitchhiker's guide absolutely i think douglas adams did things very well he did um so the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is the first book in a comedy science fiction series written by douglas adams originally as an audio series for the bbc and later adapted into the series of novels as well as pretty much every other format imaginable it's been stage plays it's been a movie adaptation it's been a tv series it's been a comic book um this premise gets around. Um, The book came out in 1979, uh, and the full book series featured five novels and ran until 1992. Um, Douglas Adams uh, died very young uh, in the late 90s, uh, and the book series was recently uh, continued with one more novel, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Did he he write, was it like an unfinished manuscript, or did someone else? No, it was written by, uh, I think it's Ian or Ian uh, Colfer, and I believe there was some sketch of what Adams oh, had intended okay. But it's with not it, like it was it, no. like, ah, oh, that's pretty much done. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all, which is surprising, as we'll talk about, too. The fifth book is uh, very final. Oh, and, really? Um, yeah. Oh. And in a way that uh, kind of destroyed Little Walt in a lot of ways. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, the Hitchcock Guidebooks um, are one of the... Th- <laughs> they're one of the things that most defined sort of my sense of humor and like an understanding of what humor was growing up and it was like Hitchhikers it was The Simpsons and it was Bill Cosby and really only one of those things is no longer problematic oh yeah uh, and it's probably largely because he passed away early I feel like he was the kind of guy I could see Adams growing into a very grumpy white British comedy man yeah but you know and- like I think Terry Pratchett had a very similar sense of humor. He did. And, and I think he was just a genuinely like lovely person from all accounts. He or was, least, like he was he was a genuine, thoughtful, kind person. Yeah, I think Adams had much more of a curmudgeon edge to him. Okay. Um that I think he he felt he was a little more like a John Cleese. Um I okay. think he so he could have he also was by all accounts a delightful man as well. But um, he could have said but, some real dumb Stuff. Yeah, I think he may have been one of those why can't I tell this kind of joke anymore kind of yeah, guys. Right. But he's not. Ha-ha. For, tra- for tragic reasons. Yeah. But he's also like one of the big three from Walt's childhood who I get to still like in a more uncomplicated way. Um, so one of the joys of the Hitchhiker's books is that the plot is very incidental in a lot of ways. A lot of them, they're sort of a container for... Uh, treatises and jokes and ideas about the kind of infinite possibilities of an infinite universe and very fun uh, perspective shifting looks at things like religion and humanity and what makes anything important um, and all of that. So they're almost like comedy philosophy texts, but they have these little plots that that drive them along. Uh, and the basic synopsis of the first one um, is uh, we open with unassuming and generally uninteresting Englishman Arthur Dent, uh, who awakens one morning to find that his house is about to be bulldozed in order to make way for a new bypass. Um, although he fails in his efforts to stop this from happening, it all winds up being kind of a moot point because at that moment, an interesting stellar fleet of spaceships shows up and announces that Earth itself is about to be destroyed to make way for an interstellar bypass uh, and a lovely little bit of synchronicity. Um, So right before Earth is destroyed, um, Arthur is whisked off planet by his his friend Ford Prefect, who it turns out is actually an interstellar journalist who'd been researching Earth for an entry in an intergalactic encyclopedia publication, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, The idea with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is it's a book that has 
as an entry on literally everything. And so it becomes a fun device throughout the books to teach us about the length and breadth of the universe and all the different things in it. Um, one of the running gags is that until Ford got stuck there trying to write his entry, um, the only entry for Earth in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was two words, don't, um, mostly harmless. And, that uh -huh. was it. and so Ford uh, was trying to add some more details to it. Um, the two men stow away on the Vogan destruction ship. Uh, with the Vogans are the aliens who are destroying Earth to make way for the bypass. Um, as Earth is destroyed, but they are captured and forced to listen to Vogan poetry as a form of torture. Uh, they're blown out of the airlock, but rescued by President of the Galaxy, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Um, he's a distant cousin of Ford's, who is also the President of the Galaxy. Uh, it's mostly a figurehead position. Um, he is also currently on the run from the law, include that he is ostensibly the governor of, uh, because he has stolen an experimental new ship called the Heart of Gold, which traverses the galaxy on the strength of improbability. Oh my goodness. Um, it's one of my favorite, like weird mechanics of the books and there are a lot of them it has the improbability drive at the center of it which basically just runs through calculations of the probability that you would randomly transport from one place to the next instantaneously and then makes that happen but in doing so has all these other crazy things pop up um so like it's a great way to explain plot convenience because ford is like wow it's crazy that we popped up right when your ship was passing through and you picked us up and zaphod was like yeah that's that's how the ship works like you just get these random things that's true. i feel like it's like the like if i were going to describe hitchhiker's guide it would be like wallace and gromit meets alice in wonderland in space i would throw doctor who into that oh yeah there you go because it's yeah. the sonic screwdriver but without any control Oh At yeah, but also drafted. it's yeah. like it's 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 just interested in like kind of being silly and yeah. having fun with words and, and no like twisting fully, things around. Yeah, and no one ever fully grasps what's going on yeah. in the large scale. Um, yeah, you don't have a character often like the doctor who's just always alert. And yeah, nervous. and it's like they're not on a mission. It's not mm -hmm. like even the doctor where it's like, oh, we go from planet to planet and right. like help people, but it's like. The the plot, again, is so irrelevant. It's just, like, largely concerned with, like, having fun with words and ideas. Yeah, and I and it comes, I think, a lot from the same spirit that Doctor Who came from, of this kind of British serialization spirit, yeah. where it started as this radio show. And so it was supposed to be an uh, all-purpose sort of perpetual motion machine of joke-telling. Um But uh, while on the Heart of Gold, uh, Arthur and Ford also meet... Uh, the two other passengers other than Zaphod, um, it's Zaphod or Zaphod, I always forget. Um, but uh, they are the depressed android, Marvin, um, who has the brain the size of a planet, and people ask him to go fetch coffee and no, stuff like that. Marvin. He's very sad. Um, and turns out the other only remaining existing human in the entire galaxy, Trillian, who is uh, Zaphod's girlfriend. They met at a party and he whisked her away. Um, and she has thus avoided Earth being destroyed as well. Um, after a series of further coincidences and misadventures caused by the Heart of Gold, uh, the gang travels to the planet of Magrathia, which is famous for manufacturing custom-built luxury planets for rich galaxy folk. Uh, there they meet Slardabartfast, a planet architect who, it turns out, actually designed Earth for a very special client. Um, he was particularly fond of the fjords, which he designed. Um, Turns out, Earth was originally constructed to host a gigantic supercomputer called Deep Thought, on which every single action and life fed into the calculations. Um, the program had run for uh, eons under the watchful eyes of the original very special clients, who it turns out were laboratory mice. Oh, I um, forgot about that. Yeah, who have been running the experiment on Earth while we pretended, or they pretended to let us experiment on them. Um, um, and they have been running this whole experiment and built this computer in order to determine the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. And thanks to Arthur and Trillian having survived the destruction of Earth, um, which was just about to finish its calculations, the mice are able to run the program and allow Deep Thought to finish its calculations and have it announce that it has uncovered the, the answer to life, the universe, and everything, which it declares is 42. And then it shuts off. Uh, the mice realize 
realize that they never actually knew what the question was to begin with um, and try to steal Arthur's brain for further research. The gang all winds up escaping and fleeing to the titular location of the second book, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Uh, the series continues from there as everybody sort of alternately searches for the ultimate question, uh, gets lost in the time stream, learns to fly, visits alternative worlds, and eventually finds a kind of peace, albeit a rather depressing one, um, which I'll talk about in the themes a little bit. Um, but like I said, the plot is crazy and largely a shaggy dog story to get us from place to place, but manages to have some cohesion. Um, the characters that we're dealing with, we've got Arthur Dent. He's the classic everyman, and one of the things I do love about the book is that it's always pretty honest about just how frustrating an everyman would be to be around. Uh -huh. Like, Arthur is just kind of a total milk toast. Like, he has no real overarching drive or ambition. And it's not like he's going to be, like, the secret one to find the no. answer of the universe. Yeah, it's just he like, has no you're destiny. Just a, you're a guy. I he's, guess you're here. He's just a dude, and he doesn't know what's going on, and everybody else is just lightly annoyed by him. Yeah. Um, which feels true to life. Uh, and he just wants to go home, or at least be left alone. Um, there's Ford Prefect. Uh, he is the intergalactic correspondent for the Hitchhiker's Guide. He's just trying to make his deadline. Um, he is the closest thing the book has to like a real driving force for the plot because he generally is the one who most wants to accomplish something, either uncovering the truth of something or saving Earth or just getting to the home office to publish his article. There is Zaphod Beeblebrox, uh, a charmingly rakish narcissist with a newly acquired second head. Um, he got it as a vanity statement. Uh, there's Trillian. She's a woman. She's not a very dynamic character. Um, Adams was not particularly great or interested yeah. in writing her. From my memory, it's been years since I've read it. Um, she seems sort of as like a proto-strong female character. Yeah. Like she's competent and she's smart. Which is good. Yeah, but, but she like, doesn't get anything to do. Yeah, and I think like I read The Hitchhiker's Guide um, when I was in, I think, high school. And I think that's why I didn't keep going. Not yeah. because I like didn't enjoy the Like the humor was great. Mm -hmm. Like it was a fun enough story. But then I was like, eh, it's a lot of guys. Yeah. I'm done. It's a whole lot of dudes. And again, Trillian pops up when the books needs someone confident or competent. To do things, yeah. but then it also doesn't focus on her. Yeah, you know, um, there's Marvin, a depressed robot uh, who gets a lot of the best lines. Um, one thing I will say about the movie adaptation of this that was came out about ten years ago is the casting was pretty perfect. Um, even if the movie itself wasn't. Uh, Martin Freeman was Arthur Dent. He played him perfectly. Oh, yeah. uh, I forget. Oh, uh, Most Deaf played Ford Prefect yeah. and was actually pretty great. Uh, Sam Rockwell played Zaphod. Uh, Zoe Deschanel played Trillian. Yeah. Uh, and Alan Rickman voiced Marvin um, and was perfect as Marvin. Um, and then we've got Slarda Bartfast. Uh, he really liked the fjords and pines nostalgically from them uh, or about them. Um, in the later books, we meet some characters like Fenchurch. Uh, she's a woman who Arthur finds love with on an alternate earth and who manages to actually be a much more compellingly oh, written and interesting character. She's really lovely. Um, she then sort of gets completely sidelined uh, in the in the last book. Oh. Um, which in the is last book that... Um, that Adams wrote. Okay. Um, yeah, the fifth book, uh, Mostly Harmless. Um, there is Random. Uh, she is Arthur and Trillian's daughter from an alternate timeline. She pops up in book five and is very sort of appropriately teenage-y and angsty um, and causes some problems. And then there is Agrajag, uh, my personal favorite character in the whole series. Um, throughout you know, the books, they're using this improbability drive, and so random stuff is happening. Like a whale appears behind the ship oh, at one point. Oh, yeah. And we get a whole chapter of the whale's perspective as it plummets to a planet and then dies um there's a pot of flowers that appears along with the whale there's like you know things keep appearing and disappearing and and random stuff happens and then about three books in arthur gets whisked away to this secret lair of this creature named agrajag who you find out has lived in a nearly infinite number of lives and in every one of them has been killed by arthur dent oh, no. accidentally in some way and he's Brought him, brought him there to be his reckoning and sort of kill him in revenge. Um, it's just a very fun concept and character, and it blew Little Walt's mind. Um, 
So there's a whole lot of other characters as well uh, that come and go, but those are sort of the main gravity ones. Um, themes and fun stuff. A big theme is the meaninglessness, meaninglessness of existence. Um, sort of Adams was a noted atheist and a definite curmudgeon, and the books are laced with cutting and satiric barbs at religion and searches for meaning throughout the galaxy and sort of looking for significance and largely find that it doesn't exist. But the pivot of that is the beauty of small miracles, I think. Um, even amongst all of the randomness and meaninglessness, lovely things can and do still happen, and connections get made, and often the randomness makes those feel even more meaningful. Um, there's a lot of optimism laced throughout the books, even as it's being very cynical. Um, and I would say the inevitable importance of those around you, um, Adams doesn't shy away from how infuriating people can be, but he's a humanist at heart, and all of his characters get intrinsically drawn together and have really lovely moments with and without one another another. Um, they actually, you know, you'll be reading really funny discourses on suicidal elevators. And then all of a sudden, like you get these characters having these lovely little hints of moments with one another that none of them acknowledge. Um, don't panic. Uh, that is the words emblazoned on the cover of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Everything is crazy and nothing makes sense. So if something insane and terrible starts happening to you, just keep your wits about you and stay calm until the next thing comes along because it may be better yeah. or it might be worse. Either <laughs> one. Uh, always bring your towel. Never forget that. Um, and then one that I sort of find for this series really fascinating and that I think is partly in the series and partly in like the meta text of the series is that endings are inadequate but are also not endings. Um, the last book that Adams wrote, Mostly Harmless, was written during a pretty significant depressive period for him uh, and it is bleak. It involves Arthur finding a new edition of the Hitchhiker's Guide that exists in all dimensions and was built specifically to ensure that Earth is destroyed across all oh, realities. Geez. And it ends with him satisfying that. Like it winds up, he he randomly winds up, he spends a whole book, uh, a number of books, Agrajag tells him that he has a moment in his future where he'll be at a place that he hasn't been yet. So he knows he's not going to die until he gets to this place. And then he winds up like the last chapter of the book is him realizing he's at a place um, that is that place. And then like everything ends like, and it's, he sort of finds a weird piece in it, but it was not something that Walt was ready for oh, when no. he was reading the books. And it, it again, like for him as a character it brings to a close this sort of piece, um, but it's a pretty devastating ending. And Adams was on record as saying he knew it was disappointing or that it was. You was know, he thinking of it as the end of the series? He, yeah, he really wanted it to be done mm. when he was writing the book. Yeah. And, you know, he'd gone back to the well a lot. And I think he was feeling very hemmed in yeah. by it. Um, he did, however, then write a new epilogue for the radio series where turns out that wasn't actually the case. And the characters wind up at the restaurant at the end of the universe um, again. And it sort of ends in a a much more open-ended and hopeful way and Fenchurch comes back um, that's another part mostly harmless Fenchurch isn't in at all she just it turns out like was whisk, like disappeared on a trans-dimensional voyage and Arthur hasn't been able to find her and so like it's a it's a grim book yeah um, but Adams sort of worked to rectify that in the radio uh, show and then also um, this the next book which I have not read yet um, and another thing um, brings all the characters back and sort of continues the story so there's this feeling and throughout the books there's the idea that you know Earth gets destroyed multiple times throughout the books yeah and in a way that like the meaninglessness of existence is like I feel like satisfying in a way because it's like well if nothing matters then it's like well it's okay because nothing yeah. matters like take a break yeah and it's like mm -hmm. if it's you know getting destroyed at various times like okay well that's the way it is right and, in the um, meantime, and it's not personal yeah exactly there's no like animus yeah to it's it. like oh you're bad and so we had to destroy you which is like no this is just how the universe works yeah which feels very of a piece with adams's sort of humanistic atheistic leanings yeah like his whole thing was like you make the meaning that you have he was a huge environmentalist because he was like we just get the well, one yeah, guys right. um so yeah i think I think uh, it. Uh, I was very mad at Mostly Harmless for a very long time, and then I reread the series a few years ago, and I wound up being in a more okay place with it. Nice. But I'm still glad that there's an ending out there where they all end up happy. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, but hey, that was a whole lot about that book, and we got to now talk about it with this movie. Yeah. So uh -huh. thematically, 
What's oh. the deal with this crossover? I mean, I think the inevitable importance of those around you. Yeah. Um, again, like finding the people who you can open up with mm-hmm. um, and really connect with. Um, like those are the things that matter in the long run. Yeah, I think absolutely. Like it's the the people around you. I think um, the idea of, I mean, there's something maybe in there of the dumbness of systems like or of social structures yes like definitely. the idea of high school feeling it's, like it's so important and it's it's all just social structures like yeah. the, all of this is man-made exactly. like we are making our own problems yeah. but we can also dismantle it mm-hmm. yeah that everybody is making it up as they go along yeah. and some people just don't admit that yeah and build structures so that feels like a big one for me of like the 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 big stakes of unimportant things where like yeah. people are in these things and they feel so important yeah. but it's really like no it's, it's not like, a no, big it's deal. It's like no it's okay it's just prom. Yeah like I think one of my favorite seg- sections of Hitchhikers is in the prologue where he refers to modern day as 2,000 years after a man was nailed to a tree for saying wouldn't it be nice if everybody was nice yeah. to each other for once. I, re- I remember like, reading that line in particular like I remember specifically being in high school like sitting in one of the couches and like reading it and being like, oh, I have to tell my friend next to me yeah. this one because it, it's real fun. Yeah, it's all little encapsulations like that. Like yeah. even the idea that Arthur learns how to fly, but the way that you fly is you throw yourself at the ground and miss. Yes, I and love it's that. Like that's just once you learn how to do that, you can fly. Um, yeah, it's little simple things. Um, so yeah, I feel like those go well together. Yeah. So how does it happen? We have I mean, an infinite universe. Yes. And um, Padua High School is on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the wackiness of the 10 Things universe lends mm-hmm. itself very well to the like improbability yeah. of the improbability ship. Absolutely. Like, I feel like it's almost like there's something about Shakespearean England and the high school being collapsed into one another yeah. that feels like a special world. Like, yeah. this is like a, a it's version like alternate of Earth. Earth. Yeah. yeah. It's like an alternate world that I totally think would uh, would would be somewhere in the Adams pantheon. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, like, I feel like Arthur and Ford, everybody would, like, arrive and and understand that this was people like working through in a Shakespearean like they would would recognize Shakespeare in it it'd be like this is earth but also not exactly like maybe they were like finding like one of those alternate earths yeah and it was like oh wait this one is a little weirder yeah and I feel like Trillian would be like I've read this play yeah I'd be (laughs) like like, wait a minute I know what's happening (laughs) um I feel like one of the high schoolers is an alien as well probably Heath Ledger He's like the yeah. guy from out of town or like the mysterious guy. Oh, that's guy. true. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he um, and Ford maybe know each other. Yeah. Maybe he is Ford's like like um, nephew or something. Yeah. Like uh, who wants to maybe is trying to get into the the, the the guide. Like he wants to write for the guide or something. Yeah. Um, although mm-hmm. actually I feel like I can see that as more Cameron because he's also oh, the new kid. yeah. And like wanting to like. Mm-hmm. You know, like Cameron's like, oh, I can do big things. And he's much more like the observer character. Yeah. Like he's... Whereas I feel like um, Patrick Verona, like he's, I could see him as being related to um, Zaphon or, or Zephod. Zephod, yeah. Yeah. Like, because they're both just like kind of wacky charmers. Yeah. I th- I do think Zephod and Dushkanu are going to get along really well oh, okay. in this universe. And he and Joey are going to be like best buds. And oh, I think they're man. both going to think the other one is awesome. Oh, And dear. they're, they're going to agree. Like it's going to oh. be like, oh, Joey, you rule. Yeah, you do too, Zephod. Oh, no. I know, I know. Like I think like that's like it's a very jock. Zephod is a very jock kind of character. Oh, okay. Um, it's been a while, so. Yeah, no, he's like super oh, okay. slick politician, but also like a drunkard. Oh, yeah, that's and, that's yeah. Joey. Mm-hmm. I think so. Maybe maybe Trillian and um, Verona are oh, like siblings. Yeah. yeah, I think they would get along. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Because she's kind of tough. And I think, you know, she like took off at some point yeah. and. Just holding her own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Marvin and Miss Perky have to hang out. Oh, totally. And, and maybe Marvin finds out that he wants to write erotica. Like he's um, he doesn't need to just be getting coffee. He's an author. That's true. He has stories within him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like real and like not sad stories, like real passionate, like. Oh, yeah. Real weird stories. <laughs> Very strange. Stories. Yeah. Um, I think Slarder Bartfast immediately starts designing a new high school. Yes. Um, you know, he's like, I'm going to build this out and it's going to be crazy and great. 
Um, yeah. And he's like, I'm going to build you the best prom ever. <laughs> yeah. I uh. mean, maybe like, so maybe the mice have decided that this is like a quantum fold. Like they're trying to up the processing power of deep thought, the computer. Yeah. So they're, so they're combining. The mice, so it's like they're the folding. The mice have generated this universe. Yeah. So I think they're like folding Shakespeare into high school. Yeah. Into like, like things are just collapsing. So I think there's a lot of synchronicity happening. Yeah. Where it's like everybody's like, oh, this feels like this. So do the 10 Things characters know that they're in an alien world? I don't think so. I don't so know are we like, I think they learn it maybe. Maybe. But that's it. So they are they like... Having the whole movie experience, not mm-hmm. knowing that they're a like program designed by lab mice, yeah, being watched by these alien creatures on this ship. I'm gonna get meta on you for yeah. a second. I think the movie that we see, yeah, is the ideal version of this program, right? Yeah, oh, interesting. But then I think Arthur and company show up and mess everything up, yeah, so they're like breaking the programming down. Because yeah. they get launched into it. And so the code is like, like they're bugs in the system, basically. Yeah. So like. Like, um, for... like a Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Like running it's very through Wreck-It all Ralph. the other video games. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, so like Zaphod and Joey are hanging out and the mice are like, no, yeah. he can't, he needs to be the bad guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, Marvin is. like He's writing erotica. Is, is writing erotica me. and like giving Miss Perky notes. And so she like quits to go be an erotica writer yeah. professionally. Yeah. Like an inter, like an intergalactic erotica writer yeah oh my gosh yeah, yeah. so he, yeah he's telling her about anatomical feats yeah that are she's like oh my god this is of. blowing my mind mm-hmm. yeah let's go let's go write all these crazy things yeah. and, and I be do, bestsellers and i do think zaphod is probably contributing to like sex things up like they have the fat marvin gives the facts of it and zaphod is like well i mean now we got to make it a little a little, a little winky yeah, yeah exactly so marvin is once again being taken advantage of oh but no that, well that's what marvin does oh okay. that's what he's there for i know i was trying to give him a like an no, owl. I mean part of the part of the joy of Marvin is that he will always be unhappy in any situation, even when yes. it's the great, greatest situation okay. of all kind. So he would feel sad if he weren't being somehow taken advantage of. Um, I can see Arthur Dent being like recast as like one of the school teachers. Oh yeah, and like trying to like talk to the kids and be like, you don't have to submit to peer pressure, yeah. and they're like. We'd hate you. He's the guidance counselor. Yeah. He's the most ineffective guidance counselor yeah, exactly. anyone has and ever like, seen. No, you don't have to do this. And they're like, oh my God, you're right. I need to sing and dance in front of the soccer team. And he's like, no, but you know. You could just talk to each other. No, just here, have a towel. Have a towel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. He's just handing out towels with like their school mascot on it. And yeah, and like he's just writing Don't Panic on the board. Yes. And then he looks at them like, huh? Huh? Aww. But then I think Ford says it and they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah don't panic. Right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just something in Arthur's delivery it does not go over well. Um, how about the dad? Uh, uh, I feel like I could also see him as being a secret alien. Yeah. I don't know why. Mm. Maybe that's what like he's so not used to Earth mating rituals. Oh. That he's like, this is real messed up. Is I horrifying. do not want my children involved in this. Yeah. Maybe... So maybe he's the one who brought these others in. Like maybe yeah. he was the initial bug. Yeah. And then uh, the like the the system has opened up, and you know the heart of gold launches everybody into. Yeah. Um, or it could also be the starship Bistromath. So when they lose the heart of gold, the next ship that gets introduced travels across the universe by harnessing the weird and improbable math that gets done when people at a bistro try to split up the check. <laughs> Uh, and so that's hilarious which feels very like high school groups oh yeah where you're like well I had the french fries Mm -hmm. but like oh I need to do are you eating tip before or after yeah and also I had a couple french fries from yours yeah so like I think that maybe that's how they they get folded in yeah yeah oh I can see that Mm -hmm. um yeah and I think yeah I mean I think um and of course, everything comes to a head at prom. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the mice are trying to like take down the system yeah. during prom. They're trying to do a hard reset. Yeah. Like they're they're really going to Oh, and that's like the 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 breakup, you know, there's something in the the bond the covalent bonds between uh Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger that like they just need to break yeah. them up and start everything over again. Right. And I mean, because um Julia Stiles and and Bianca, I mean, they could be half alien. So they would be like, oh, no, yeah. we need to reset this. It's like, no, this is all wrong. The DNA is off. We need to yeah. adjust it. And then everybody's back. Like, they're aware and they're going to do it. Yeah. They're going to fight back. Yeah. Um, 
something in the 10 things I hate about you needs to die at Arthur Dent's hands accidentally because it needs to be aggregate. Uh, Bogey Lowenstein? Oh, Bogey. Sorry, Bogey. No, that's fair. That's very fair. I think like it's some piece of advice that Arthur gives Bogey that sounds really innocuous, yeah. but Bogey takes to heart and somehow winds up with him dying. It's like, you've like, just got to spread your wings and fly. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And can, like jumps off a cliff or something. Right, he's trying to use the towel to fly or yeah. something. Yeah. And I think, so yeah, I think Arthur Den inadvertently kills Bogey Lowenstein. Yeah. That's in keeping with everything else. Right. Like, I would love to see a universe in which Bogey Lowenstein keeps coming back only to be killed by Arthur Dunn. Yes. Gradually becoming more and more angry. Exactly. <laughs> only in his the, final. The origin of, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Art. Um, Agrajack? Agrajack? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's his he first was. One. It's like how um, Gollum was originally a hobbit yeah. with a real name. Schmeagol. Schmeagol, yeah. And so. That's right. Bogey is is Agrajag is proto Agrajag exactly yes absolutely, um, yeah oh I'm digging this because yeah it's just fun like chaos being ranked because then I think especially as things I mean a la Wreck It Ralph or something like as things get more and more spun out weirder and weirder things happen or keep happening but on top of this like story template that is the comp- that is the program of this computer yeah so like it's still like it's prom but then all of a sudden like all the dolphins show up or something and are like there's just a, b- a bunch of dolphins in yeah the prom oh, exactly hall. but that's fun yeah everyone's exactly. like everybody's this is the like, best great. prom ever Woo! under the sea theme Woo-hoo! yeah um fenchurch is totally there uh i think she and miss perky get along great um wait which one is fenchurch, fenchurch is arthur's girlfriend oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um What's what is she like? Um, she's very sort of a little loopy but practical. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She. I could see that. Yeah. I. The the nearest. She's sort of manic pixie dream girly, but has a little bit more grounding to her mm-hmm. than that. Well, I think then that what, what that usually implies, like she's quirky. I guess yeah. is what I'm looking for. Um. Yeah. She is also able to fly. Um. Anything well, for that's cha- cool. Yeah. Anything for Chastity Church. Um, I, mm. yeah, I think she works for the mice somehow. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I can see that. She gets an internship. Well, and that's the thing, because she betrays Bianca by going to the prom with Joey. So Mm. I think this is her betrayal where it's like, I'm actually, I'm a mouse plant. Yeah. I think she has an, she gets an internship. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, and like, well, you this know is going to look you, great on my you, applications. You know, you worked hard, girl. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we, we can't kind of keep that one going yeah so everything blows up at prom and yes. i think and then i think they do okay prom at prom after party they are like okay we're gonna go resolve all of this um and they run out like prom is falling apart everything is going crazy i think they bring them back to the cafe that was the starship bistro math mm-hmm. overlay and they wind up doing prom after party at the restaurant at the end of the universe oh like that yeah so every, they all escape the They're collapsing computer partying at the end of the world yeah, they party at the end of the universe um yeah restaurant at the end of the universe is also a great concept it hovers at the very end of known time and you eat dinner and then during the dessert course you watch the universe end and collapse into entropy all around you and then it gets pulled back in a time bubble and the whole thing starts over again Aww. um so yeah i think i feel very good about this world yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's, again, just like a lot of door slamming and people crossing paths. And, and buildings turning into running. weird things. Yeah. And like robots show up. The cricket robots from Life, the Universe, and everything pop up. Like, it's, yeah, there's cricket playing robots. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, I like it. And at the end, everybody still gets together. And then they watch the world, the every they watch all of existence collapse into entropy, and nobody knows why. And then a big number forty two flies up on the on the screen and cuts yeah. credits. Yeah, yeah, kisses, <laughs> kisses. Um, yeah. Do we want to do games? I feel like, oh yeah, I feel like we talked a lot about yeah. like, and I don't think there's anyone like especially fighting. I feel like again, it's much more farcy and yeah. and like. I think again because like especially in Hitchhikers the. I think the stakes and the relationships in 10 things are so set and rigid. Yeah. That and I mean, they're all high schoolers, so I don't want yeah. a lot of romance crossing no. over. I think we've got some best buddies set up. Yeah. And um, Hitchhikers is so diffuse that I feel like it's more just like added chaos yeah. to this really formatic, 
formed thing. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, is part of the fun. That, like, how, what are the ways that the underlying spine of Taming of the Shrew keeps reasserting itself against all of this chaos yeah. happening around it? So I, I'd watch the heck out of it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, well, I really enjoy the idea of a teen adaptation of Shakespeare, but also in comedy space. Yeah, falling into a quantum-folded calculation of entropy yeah yeah well if people can't get that any but they do want to read more material that is like the things we're talking about um what can they look at um so for more teen adaptations of the classics um there is exit pursued by a bear by ek johnston um which is a an adaptation of um a winter's tale uh, about a uh, cheerleading squad um and sexual assault and bears teen- bears obviously mm-hmm. um but it's it's extremely well written and again like another great uh shakespeare teen adaptation um there's Ad- as i descended by robin tolly which is a YA adaptation of macbeth um which is super creepy and fun and i love robin and i love macbeth so this was perfect for me both two really good titles too yeah right um there's we were liars um by e lockhart um which is like I think of it as a kind of King Lear YA adaptation, um, but like I think kind of spun way off from that. But it still like has a lot to do with like one very rich old manipulative man yeah. pitting his children against each other. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the 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 initial premise is the same. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but it's like instead of it being about the children, it's about the grandchildren and mm-hmm. kind of how they're dealing with their family dynamics and like how they want to fight against these like personal family dramas um Mm -hmm. and how that is ultimately like those personal family dramas are are very destructive of the whole family cool um there's anna of california which is a y adaptation of anne of green gables which like i feel like didn't get a lot of attention or maybe i didn't notice it but like i read it within the last couple of years and it's just like a really smart thoughtful adaptation oh, and cool. um starring a latina girl in california um and like i really enjoyed it and nice. so i think more people should read it um there's jane which is an adaptation of jane Eyre, um and again contemporary um mr rochester is a like kind of rock star in this version as he should be right um and I and I like I love Jane Eyre so much, probably more than I should. Um, and like I am constantly like on the hunt for Jane Eyre adaptations, even though like I think it's almost impossible to set to do set in the contemporary age because like you can't have a crazy wife in the attic, right? It's like, like that's a lot actually of, real awful. Yeah, and like a lot it's, of political I mean, implications to Jane Eyre that yeah, don't port over well. No, because it's like I mean it's awful in the Jane Eyre era, but it was like that was also kind of what people did. Yeah. Um, which is terrible, but at least more understandable than like mm. anything. And it's either you're going to have something that like is not that bad and you're like, what? That's not that bad. Right. Or it's going to be so awful that you're like, you're a friggin' monster. Like, you better, you endanger, girl. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't run. <laughs> um, but yeah, but they're still fun. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Clueless um, in terms of movie adaptations. Yep. That's the, the one of the best adaptations of Jane Austen. Gold standard. Gold standard. Um, perfect Emma. Um, and just another phenomenal 90s movie. Um, She's All That, um, adaptation of um, My Fair Lady and um, Pygmalion. Mm-hmm. Um, another phenomenal 90s teen movie. <laughs> this one, I think, is not as as smartly written. No, but very 90s it's and very so 90s. cute. And, like, I'll always love it. Like, yeah. I remember going to see it when I was, like, what, 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, going to the movies with my friends no oh, parents. Yeah. Hashtag no parents. I know, right? We're like, oh my god, <laughs> going to see this movie with Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, and not quite nineties, but still pretty close. Easy A, oh, um, which is a super fun, smart adaptation mm-hmm. of Scarlet Letter. Um, so I would throw Super Bad onto there as well. Is that uh, an adaptation? Not an adaptation, but I feel like it's a very good high school movie that subverts uh standard gender roles in true a way. yeah um, we could throw that on too so this was that was my section on teen adaptations of the classics oh i thought that was the end i'm sorry i missed the I, rest I of the continued. list because no, i downloaded I was the like, google doc so you've oh been, yeah no i was i just added because i was like no i need more oh of course so i will add super bad on there i haven't well then i'm I think flying I've seen blind the only here end of 
that. I don't it's think delightful. It's, yeah. Um, so for if you're just looking for some real fun uh, contemporary that is also kind of happy, um, there's two All the Boys I've Loved Before and kind of the whole series by Jenny Han, which mm-hmm. is so freaking cute. And a girl's love letters accidentally get sent to all of these boys that she crushed on mm-hmm. um, and kisses and so great um 99 days by kitty katagno um about a girl who has to kind of return home after her mom has written a fictionalized account of her relationship with these two brothers like it was a love triangle and the the main character kind of hooked up with these two brothers at Mm -hmm. different times and then now the whole town hates her oh no um but it's fantastic um anna and the french kiss which is like super fluffy ya uh, romance um, set in Paris, you know, kisses and good feelings, stuff all around. good stuff all around. Um, Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit um, by J. Robin Brown about um, a girl who is like she lives in, I think it was like Atlanta and she's out as a young gay teen mm-hmm. and she is moving with her father to the small town um, and he's a like a minister and he's like more liberal mm-hmm. but it's like oh we're moving to the small town we're new like maybe you should like not be as out um, and it's like her kind of dealing with being weirdly back in the closet but also having a crush on someone else and then that someone else wants to come out mm-hmm. um, and like how do you kind of manage your identity? Um, and like, ensue. Yeah. And like dealing with like, what is the persona and, and how do you present yourself? Um, and so, this, this movie is your recommendation. Wheelhouse. No, these are books. And I, or I know I meant 10 oh, things you hate about you. Yeah. This is like the sweet spot. I know. I was like, what things is, did I if, if there were any one piece of media that would spin off into things that you know the most about. Yeah. I was like, it's oh, like literally I was like, oh man, what more can I add? I'm going to add a lot more. But I think those <laughs> are, those are some good ones. Those will keep you going. Um, and yeah, so what about, um, some recommendations for Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah. Well, like I said, there is all sorts of other media versions of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I, um, I listened to a bunch of the radio series, which is available. Um, I rent, I think I borrowed it from the library. Um, right on library. Right? Go to your local library. Yeah. But get it's, get that, um, Overdrive account going. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's on iTunes at this point as well. Um, it's pretty delightful and it, it hues, it both hues to the books. There's a lot of the, the best bits from the books, uh, come from the radio series and also has some other bits too uh and it's adorable british actors being adorable um there's the movie version which i thought again perfect casting and some really great moments doesn't really hang together because it tries to put a little more enforced of a plot on it and to its credit tries to give trillion more to do um but you know it's pushing a rock up the hill in that case um but yeah i thought overall it was totally fine i wasn't heartbroken that it didn't wind up becoming the full series um I have not yet read the 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 sixth book and another thing written by Ayn Colfer, uh, but I have heard really great things about it, and I have it on my shelf. And actually, after doing this podcast, I now kind of really want to pick it up Aww, next yeah. and do it. Um, I do a, a reread of the series every few years, and I think I'm feeling the itch. Um, uh, Ian Colfer also wrote uh, the Artemis Fowl books. I forgot he which, did that. Yeah, which I have heard wonderful things about and have never read. I read the first um, one. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine? Okay. I mean, it's... I feel I've like heard it, mixed to wonderful things yes. about. <laughs> I feel it's it's a thing where I'm like, okay, well, that does a thing. And I like, I read it and I was glad I read it, but I didn't feel compelled to like read on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he builds a full world and, you know, has a very strong narrative voice, so... Yeah. Totally. Um, I would say the Discworld books, which are definitely Aww. things that Annie can talk to Yay. a little bit more strongly. But again, Terry Pratchett's sort of loopy British world building in a very wonderful way. Yeah. And I, um, um, so I got a Discworld poster mm-hmm. that I let Walt take to the office. And it's in my office and I get lots of compliments I on it. I bet he does. It's the greatest. It makes me feel real nerdy cool. And it makes me feel like I need to read some Discworld books Yay. so that if people come in and recognize it, I don't have to be like, oh yeah, I haven't read any of those. <laughs> <laughs> you do. They're real fun. Um, but I would add as a supplement to that also Good Omens, which I yeah. have read, which Terry Pratchett co-wrote with Neil Gaiman uh, and is a really delightful um, look at the apocalypse. Um Adams wrote another series of books, just two books, uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which was followed up by The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. They are definitely a little more uh, adult 
than Hitchhiker's Guide, not in any risque sense or like violent sense, just in they're a little more thoughtful and a little less goofy while still being very funny and very weird. Um, I very much need to, I want to go back and reread them because I read them, I think, a little too young to really grasp even the concept of what a holistic detective agency is. I feel like Adams was just brilliant in coming up with these titles and names yeah and like, crazy concepts oh yeah yeah like the dirk gently the holistic the holistic detective agency still has a lot of moments even while i didn't get it when i was reading it that stick with me and that i still think about and remember uh, and think back very fondly on um he also there's a book that came out posthumously called the salmon of doubt which has a bunch of his writings um essays and um thought pieces and a little bit of an unfinished sequel uh to hitchhikers and it it gives a real sense of him as a person i think in a way that the books don't always necessarily um i throw a wrinkle in time on the list for oh, yeah. universe building that is fun and playful and like hangs together but in a very specific way that yeah. is not it's not like you read it and you go this is all perfectly reasoned and makes sense it's like explain it from our perspective that makes that clicks and makes sense and hangs together but still feels a little intangible yeah and um, like i feel like the way madeline lingle thinks about the universe is it like so grounded in her like religious perspective mm-hmm. um it's interesting to contrast that with adams and his like yeah. atheist perspective and neither of them it's like they're not forcing their views on you and i love them both but like it, it would i would love to read a paper in which yeah. like compares and contrasts the, it's like tackling the infinite yeah like how writers. do these two very charming writers tackle the infinite mm-hmm. um there's the neverwhere books by neil gaiman which again i have not read but uh mm-hmm. get the sense click the most of gaiman's writing with uh, with adams um and then there's monty python's flying circus which you can go wrote uh or, or which you can go watch you can go wrote i don't know uh go watch it uh graham chapman of pythons is actually the one who discovered douglas adams oh, wow. and brought him on and he is i found this out on wikipedia today one of only two people in the world who have a co-writing credit on an episode of Python. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. He, uh, he, Who's the other one? Uh, some guy. I forget his oh. name. Uh, <laughs> Joe Schmo. Joe, Mr. Face. He's done nothing else, but he has that co-writing credit. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, so much of the Adam sensibility is simpatico with the Pythons and that idea yeah. of just like anything for a laugh, but also there's an intelligence behind it and a, a cynicism as well. Um, but yeah. I feel like um, I'll add one as well. Like the um, like the Princess Bride. Oh yeah, having that like mm-hmm. here's like almost like an established genre, like in terms of sci-fi or yeah. fantasy, and like how can we just poke fun at it and have fun with it and have kind of a a cynical sensibility, mm-hmm. um, but also have a lot of heart involved in these characters. Yeah, and uh, if you happen to have access to a time machine, you can go back in time and watch my sixth grade, seventh grade Shady Side Academy speech contest presentation what? on the Hitchhiker's Guide books, uh, which I won second place with. Oh my goodness! So, who won first place? Was it uh, um, that guy who wrote that co episode? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was David Busis. And he almost deserved it. Yeah. No, I'm happy for him. He did a good job. Uh, no, that was it. Was eighth grade, eighth grade that I got the second place. Um, anyway, uh, oh, I dang think it, that's... it doesn't look like it's online right now. But you let me know if you find it. Yeah, audience. seriously. Um, well, I think I'm going to leave that tantalizing bit of information out there. Annie, if people want pieces of media and information that are not my speech contest almost winner from eighth grade, uh, where can they find it? They can find all of our crossover appeal content, including show notes. And if I find that video of Walt doing that reading, then I'll put them on the uh, the old Tumblr. I mean, I'm, at, I'm, I'm cool with it. I was adorable. Yeah, right. You Walt was. <laughs> um, and that is at crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, if you went to Shady Side Academy with me and have that video, you can email it to Annie at crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can post it directly to our Facebook uh, page at Crossover Appeal Podcast. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I guess you could tweet it out to the world, but I don't think you're going to get a lot of retweets um, at Crossover Appeal. Um, 
And uh, even more important than finding that video of all well, that's not actually. Uh, no, no, finding the video is only. a close second. Yeah, well, no, finding, <laughs> finding the video is number one. This is number two. Okay. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Also rate and review us because that would make us real happy. Exactly. It would make us almost as happy as finding that video. No, um, the video is definitely number one. <laughs> I would be the most, I would be as happy as if I saw a bunch of balloons. It was a pretty awesome speech, everybody. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but yeah, I think barring that speech resurfacing, the next time you'll be hearing from us uh, outside of our social media feeds will be in a couple weeks when we'll be right back here doing the same thing, but with a couple different shit, different things. Yeah. Different yeah. sandwich. Yeah, different sandwich to nom on. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Crossover Appeal. Uh, I'm Walt McGough. I'm Annie Cardi. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. 